Welcome to Mike's Take, an informed and opinionated view of the world of sport. Hi guys, it's Mike Madoda here and welcome to another episode of Mike's Take. And today we are talking about Zimbabwe sport, our facilities and infrastructure. Now focus on Zimbabwe's soccer infrastructure came to a head last week with the Confederation of African Football CAF declaring that none of Zimbabwe's stadiums were fit for purpose. None of our arenas actually satisfy the minimum international standard. Barberfield Stadium in Bulawayo, the only stadium which had provisionally been certified on condition that issues that have been raised in the CAF inspection report be addressed was the last to fall after Wolawayo City Council failed to make the improvements as directed. The ban is a damning indictment on Zimbabwean football and if it stands it means that the Zimbabwe Football Association ZIFA will be forced to look for venues beyond our borders for national teams assignments. The country's flagship team the Warriors have AFCON and World Cup qualifiers coming up and may now have to do without home advantage in the quest to qualify for those showpieces events. Reigning Zimbabwe football champions FC Platinum, who are due to play in the next CAF Champions League campaign, have also been affected by the ban. Now, if you don't know what CAF looks for, what FIFA looks for, well, I'm just going to run you through some of the general requirements that they look at or that they need out of a football stadium. The first one, the pitch condition must be uh, perfect and the surface must be green and marked clearly in white and the team dugout area needs general renovation and painting. That was a recommendation that was made to Barberfield Stadium. Floodlights for evening matches. Their capacity must be according to the CAF requirements. The light must uniformly cover every area of the playing field. The team's dressing rooms must be of high quality with appropriate seats and lockers. In addition, they should have five individual seated toilets, one massage table, one tactical board, good ventilation or air conditioning. The referee's dressing room must be of a high quality or standard with appropriate seats and lockers. In addition, it should have four seats, four lockers, internet connectivity, good ventilation or air conditioning, a fridge, tactical board, first aid kits, electronic substitute boards that are to be used during the match, a pump and pressure gauge for the match balls. You must also have at the stadiums a doping room as well as medical center that must meet the needs of any medical emergency on the field of play and off it. A media center that must seat at least 50 journalists and have individual power and internet connections. It must also have a dedicated press conference room. Then there must be the implementation of uniform signage around and in the stadium to facilitate of course the entry and exit of people. The approaches to the stadium for example must be adequately signposted to guide spectators to their sectors and of course this must be in languages that are universally understood. So those are the bare minimum standards that we see worldwide at the different stadia and even on the continent of Africa. But these standards, of course, which have become the norm continent-wide, have become an aspiration for Zimbabwe. Somehow, we convinced ourselves that our facilities were good enough as if drunk on past glory, viewing our facilities as they were when they were built. We were caught in a time warp as the rest of the world moved on, setting the bar much higher and leaving us far behind. The National Sports Stadium, Barberfields, Rufaro, Guanzura, Sakuva 
Ascot, Rimuka, Maglas, Baghdad, Fupajena, Rodaka, Vengere, the Colliery, and even the recently built corporate facilities like Mandava and the Baobab Stadium are not really up to scratch. When you go through the checklist that I gave earlier, most of our soccer stadiums will fail to tick even one box. Now, former Ziva Vice President Omega Savanda was quoted in local media saying that it was good PR that kept Zimbabwe playing in condemned stadiums under previous football administrations, but that should never have been the case, and that should never be commended, and Omega Savanda should be dismissed with the disdain he deserves for such a shameful attempt to find glory and legitimacy in failure. The challenges with our sports facilities and infrastructure are not exclusive to soccer. Rugby too has been part of the Malay, to the point where in recent years the national rugby sides didn't even have a place they could call home. Police grounds in Harare and Hartsfield in Bulawayo too have deteriorated over the years with Hartsfield now associated with the weekend gotch if you ever fancy a bit of a barbecue if you are in that neck of the woods. The City Sports Centre, which played host to international tennis that saw the likes of Andre Agassi step out on his court, is now nothing more than a venerated auditorium playing host to one church gathering or the other and the odd political rally. Our international cricket venues are in relatively good nick, but have not seen much in the way of infrastructural development in the last 10 years. We're still waiting for the floodlights at Harare Sports Club, with the towers having gone up several years ago and now serving no purpose other than being advertising scaffolding. Imagine the boost to match day revenue that Zimbabwe cricket would experience if day-night cricket became a reality. Hockey too has suffered. Magamba and Kumalo stadiums were built in the early 90s for the 1995 All-Africa Games but fell away badly as a result of neglect and a lack of maintenance. The Bulawayo community have somewhat revived Kumalo but Magamba remains an eyesore as you drive into the National Sports Stadium complex. The two prime hockey facilities in the country right now are actually to be found on the school circuit at St. John's College and Arundel in Harare. In fact, Zimbabwe will actually host the men and women's Southern African qualifier for the 2021 Hockey Africa Cup of Nations at St. John's College in Harare in the month of August. The examples are numerous and across the board spectrum of sport. Chitukwiza Aquatic Centre, Les Brown Swimming Pool, Highlanders Sports Club, Old Hararians. The only exception to the rule is perhaps Old Georgian Sports Club, where the club is leveraged heavily on corporate support as well as individual investments to not only maintain their facilities but to upgrade and even expand. There's been a lot of talk and social media chatter around the minister responsible for sport in Zimbabwe, Kirsty Coventry, and rightfully so, but most of the criticism has been unfortunately misplaced. The rot with our sports infrastructure began way before Kirsty even entertained thoughts she would be a champion swimmer and Africa's most decorated Olympian. She has simply picked up someone else's tab. What the minister should do and should have done upon assuming office is champion the cause of renovating and rebuilding sports facilities within government in general and the Ministry of Local Government in particular as they provide oversight over facilities such as the National Sports Stadium, City Sports Centre as well as being the parent ministry of the various city councils that are in charge of stadiums in the country. She's running around now and trying to pick up the pieces, which must be commended, but sports fans demand proactive leadership rather than the reactionary type that we are seeing in the aftermath of the CAF ban. 
The Sport and Recreation Commission, the SRC, too, must also come under scrutiny. Superintending sports associations must go beyond trying to manage boardrooms, but spread to the very foundation of sport, and that foundation is built on the bedrock of infrastructure. Now, the solutions have got to be found to this problem, and I think they're summed up in one statement. We need to be willing to let go. Now, let me explain myself. City councils will need to realize that they can still make revenue from their stadiums without necessarily owning and maintaining them themselves. It's a model we see in operation in Europe where a number of famous stadiums such as the San Siro in Milan are council-owned properties but have been leased to private companies who run the facilities on a day-to-day basis. Leasing to clubs and sports organizations is not the only way. There are dedicated property companies and infrastructure management firms that can perform a similar, if not better, role. Case in point, in Muzansi, where they have the stadium's company of South Africa, which oversees the operations of FNB Stadium, popularly known as Soccer City, Moses Mabida out in Durban, Cape Town Stadium and Orlando Stadium, as well as others. There are also empowerment opportunities that will come if you devolve the management of our sports facilities. Our problem is that government wants to do everything, whether at local government or national level, completely missing the real business opportunity that lies in outsourcing. Instead of councils and government shelling out millions as they've been forced to do in the aftermath of the CAF ban, they could be making money without spending a single cent. There's more that should be done and can be done so long as we are willing to let go and evolve beyond the traditional systems and structures which clearly are not working. That's my take. Mike's Take. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to Mike's Take and to tell somebody. Don't forget, you can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Madoda or catch him every weekday on ZFM Sports.